Well, at this time, as we receive our tithes and offerings, I'm going to actually introduce Pete Wilmot. In fact, this man needs no introduction. So would you welcome with me Pete Wilmot? <laughs> Good morning, LifeSpring. Can you hear me? Because I was sitting right next to the speaker, which was probably not a wise thing to do. So. so just a point of clarification, you're all aware that the football game does not start till like 4 or 4.30, right? You all know that? 3.30? 3.30. Okay. 3.30. But you're here at 8.45. And because of that, I want you to know something. You are my favorite service. Yeah, you are my people. I love you people. You're the get up and go people. You're the people who like to get up and get things done. You are my people. Now, when LifeSpring first announced that we were going to have two services, how many of you were secretly hoping for like a 7 a.m. service? Yes, yes, okay. Yeah, I wasn't sure who would raise their hand for a 7 a.m. service, but I, I knew who would not raise their hand. And that was Pastor Adam right here. Yeah. 7 a.m. service. Yeah. You know why I know that? Because I had a meeting once with Pastor Adam at 7 a.m., and to this day, he still believes it was all a bad dream. <laughs> yeah. Physically, he was there, but mentally, uh-uh. No. No, my goodness. Yeah, exactly. You don't know what I'm talking about because you were asleep. That's right. Uh, so today, we're continuing in our book on the study of James, and I have a true confession to make, which may mean I'm not preaching at 11 a.m., and the true confession is, James is not my favorite book in the Bible. I'm sorry, it's not. It's not I'll tell you why, but it's not. Really, if I had to rank the books of the Bible, which I've done, which shows you what kind of time I have on my hands, and I went from my most favorite down to my least favorite, I want you to know that James would be second to the last. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, numbers would be last, in case you're curious about that. Yeah. I'm sure there's something good in there, but I still haven't found it. I'm still looking. But James would be second to last, but here's why. It's because James, we wouldn't click. I'm a story guy. I like stories. I like to tell stories. I like to hear stories. I like to share stories. James doesn't tell any stories. He's not a story guy. He gives a lot of good information, but he doesn't tell a lot of stories. So because of that, I had to come up with a story, because you can't start a sermon without a story, can you? You just can't do it. So I'm going to start off with a story, and it happens to be a Seahawks story. Yes. Yes, go Hawks. It's, it's my only Seahawk experience, so I have to share it with you. And this is a true story, which makes it even better. So here's how the story goes. I used to work out with this guy every morning at the gym. His name was Steve, really nice guy, and we'd do a bunch of different things. We'd run or lift weights and do this. But one day we got on this kick of playing racquetball. So I thought, great, this is great. And, and Steve was a little better than I was, so it was a really good workout because he always pushed me. We played racquetball day after day after day, morning after morning after morning. And it was a great game. It was fun. It was relaxing. It was great. And then one day he comes in and he says to me, hey, Pete, I hope you don't mind, but I invited another guy to join us. And I said, oh, I don't mind. That changes the game a little bit. If you don't know racquetball, it changes the game a little bit. But, but it's still the same game, right? just changes a little bit. And he says to me, it's a kid I used to coach because Steve used to be a football coach, a youth football coach. And I said, well, that's great. And he said, and now he plays for the Seattle Seahawks. And I thought, wow. And this was a few years ago, so don't get too excited. It wasn't Russell Wilson or anybody cool. Like it. But he said he, used, he plays for the Seattle Seahawks. And I thought, well, that's great. 
And uh, then the guy came in, and I met him, and really nice guy. And I want to say that in case he's here today. Okay. Really nice guy. But when I looked in his eyes, it wasn't all there, you know? No, no, no. I don't think all the chickens had come home to roost. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I don't... I had to throw a little southern thing in there. <laughs> little crazy eyes there, right? A little, little different. I don't even think he said anything. And he was about my height, but like, you know, everything I got here was like up here. I mean, it was like, <laughs> wide, wide guy, wide guy. And he had this eye, this look in his eyes like, let's go break something. Let's go, you know, let's go do some damage somewhere. So then we get on the court and then Steve goes, you know, by the way, he doesn't know the rules of the game. I thought, oh, okay. He's never played racquetball before. And I'm like, okay. And then I looked at him, and then I recognized him. I knew who he was. This is him right here. Okay. Yeah. Now, no. Now, you're thinking probably tough. You're probably thinking tough game, right? Well, here's the deal. This picture was taken before the game even started. And this is how this happened. As he was being introduced, his name is Owen Schmidt, as he was being introduced, he ran onto the field with the fireworks going up, you know, at Quest, and he took off his own helmet and he started bashing it against his own forehead. This is the result. So bad that they had to put stitches in his forehead before the game even started. So this is the guy I'm going to play racquetball with. Now... To his credit, he picked up the rules pretty quickly. You stand here, you serve here, we return back and forth, blah, blah, blah. You can't do this, you can't do that. He got those rules pretty quickly. But this guy was all about power and control and destroying stuff, okay? And if you had never played racquetball, sometimes you want to hit with power, but a lot of times it's finesse. And it's grace, and it's where you place the ball. Finesse and Owen Schmidt do not go together. And when you play one, three people, it's one against two, depending on who serves. Sometimes you end up by accident in the same corner. And I found myself doing that once, and he took that racket and was just like, like crazy. So I spent the entire game running for my life. <laughs> trying not to get hit by his racket, which he was swinging wildly at, or run over by him. Either way, my goal was just to avoid Owen Schmidt. So I got a good workout, but it was a complete game changer. That's my Seahawks story. Thank you, thank you. Good story, huh? Why do I share that story with you? Well, I share that story with you because, number one, James doesn't have any stories. And number two, because what James does do, though, is give us some great game changers in the passage we're going to look at today. So that's what I want to talk to you about today. Are you ready to go? These are game changers that will change your life. I guarantee it. So before we start, let's lift up this time in prayer. Will you join me? Father God, I just give you praise and glory, Lord, for today, Lord. I give you thanks for your word. I thank you, Lord, for everybody that's here, Father God. Thank you, Lord, that you speak to us, and we open our hearts to what you have to say to us. And we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so we're continuing from what Pastor Dan talked about last week, which was my key verse anyway that I remember from it, which was, consider it all pure joy when you go through trials. Remember that? And we all thought, yeah, that sounds like fun, going through pure joy and all those trials. 
Well, James keeps going with that verse without stories, but here's what he says. Verse 12, blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. So not only joy, but now you're blessed. Isn't that wonderful? For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And here's my first fill-in for you on the handout. Everything changes when you accept the promise. Everything changes when you accept the promise. What's the promise? Well, here's just one. You are loved. Did you know that? You are loved. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You are loved. Everything changes when you can accept that. It has to. God gave his only son as a sacrifice for you. And I don't mean, I don't mean all of you collectively like y'all. I mean you individually. God gave his only son for you. For all of our sins, he took on himself. And he sacrificed his only son for you. If you accept that, that has to change everything. It's a game changer. How about Isaiah 49:16? It says, Behold, I have engraved you on the palm of my hand. Can you accept that? If you can, that changes everything. I thought about this this week. You're not in God's hands. You're on His hands. How's that for protection? You're on His hands. It changes everything. It has to. If you can accept that. Notice I didn't say everything changes when you understand that. Because I spent a lot of time calling myself a Christian and going to church and understanding a lot. I knew it. I knew it since I was a kid. I understood everything. But I never accepted it. But when you accept it, it changes everything. Here's one more. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Be not afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Everything changes when you accept that. I'd like you to meet some people who have accepted that. Would you like to see it in the flesh? Let me invite those people up on stage. Let's go. Team Ghana. This is your team, LifeSpring. This is the team that's going to Ghana. God says, wherever you go, I'll be with you. And they said, yes, I'll accept that promise. Let me have each person introduce themselves. I'm Adam Henderson. I'm Colby Ferris. I'm Joe Moore. I'm Emily Faber. Rachel McCaskill. I'm Ray Wright. Ghana. All the way. Are they crazy? They're crazy. They're crazy. They're crazy for God. They've accepted God's promise. I read it. I heard it. I believe it. I accept it. Wherever we go, we're accepting this promise. Ray, do you want to tell us a little bit about this trip? How much time do you give me? You got, the game's not until 3.30, so you go. Today, I've been blessed not only with good health now, I'm blessed with five of the most beautiful people I've ever met. One couldn't go this trip, and I love her more than life itself, and that's Adelie. Adelie Moore was going with us, but she couldn't get off of work or whatever her reasons were. 
if she came up to me today and said, Ray, I want to go on the next mission, she, she's on spot. Today, what's going to happen is all the five here with me, they'll be flying into Ghana on the first week of September. That uh, guy in the blue shirt down at the end with his hands in his pockets. <laughs> He's going to be the preacher at two crusades. Uh, we've already set it up. There's estimated there's going to be 15 to 20,000 youth at this crusade. To my knowledge, it's the first crusade in Ghana that affects children, young people alone. Elderly people, older people are welcome to come but it's going to be geared to the young people, 12 years to 25 years, in an area that is just everything. It's a melting pot of Ghana. And these people here have committed themselves. Uh, Adam's going for two weeks because he's got responsibilities back here to take care of. Rachel's going for two weeks. She's got responsibilities to take care of. Emily going for two weeks. She has other responsibilities. Joe and Kobe, they're going to be with me for two months. They've made the commitment, and I'm going to wake them until they work them until their knees fall off. <laughs> it's. Uh, it's a whole new experience for Kobe and Joe. They're stepping into something that they don't know about. They're going to a place that they probably, I don't know, can you spell Ghana? <laughs> <laughs> the trips are all planned, ready to go. The estimated value for each person to go is based on airfare, how much we need for sustenance and transportation, their visas, their flu shots, or uh, not the flu shots, their visa shots, I call them, yellow fever, typhoid, and a form of uh, malaria pill. And they need our help. I'm not worried about me. I get free transportation. God gave it to me years ago, and I still have it. And it was kind of the thing that opened the door for me. But these young people, they have to flip their own way. They've got to pay their own, their own way. The ladies are going to have to support themselves for the two weeks that they're away. And right now, from what I can work out... It's going to cost each of them about $2,600 to go over to Ghana. That could vary a little bit. I don't think it's going to be cheaper. It's going to be probably a little bit more. And we need your help, church. We need your help because these young people are stepping out. Now it's your turn to step out. Maybe you weren't called to Ghana. Maybe you weren't called to a mission field. But you have a penny, a dime, a quarter. I don't care. It's a commitment. 
God will take care of the rest. And I believe in him. He's never let me down. I love him so. And I thank you for putting up with me the last four years, five years I've been here. I have probably worked some nerves and made people a little bit honked off at me. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) But I got Pete. (laughs) And he ain't going to get away from me. Okay, can we just extend our hands? Let's pray for our team right here. Father God, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness, and we thank you, Lord, for the faithfulness of everybody on this stage, Lord, that's willing to step out into the unknown, Lord, and just say yes. The people that are willing to say yes to your promises, Lord, yes to your truths, Father God. Uh, People that even though they may be afraid, they may be scared, they may have doubts, Lord, they're clinging to you, Father God. So we ask, Father God, for blessings. We ask for protection, Father God. We ask for a divine intervention, Father God, to bring the right people into the right circumstances, Father God. Tens of thousands of people, Father God. Lord, we are amazed that from this small church, we can send people out to speak to so many. And it's all because of you and your truth. And we thank you in the mighty, mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I did one thing. The boys, Kobe and Joe, will be doing testimonies while they're there. The two young ladies that are going, they're going to be teaching and getting things put together for those that are going to be uh, giving their hearts to the Lord so we can anchor them in the scriptures a little bit and get them into churches. So they, they all have a responsibility, and I would not doubt that they, even the women and the boys We'll all give testimony on, on the first crusade we do. So pray for him. Please pray for him. Amen. Thank you. And Ray wasn't kidding. A dollar, a quarter, a nickel, a dime, offer it. Watch God multiply it. Why? You want to see something amazing? Try that. Try that. This whole building fund that we have, that we're not even looking for a building, but we have a building fund, that started in a living room with, I think, four people put $10 in a plate and said, let's start with $40. And, and we never advertised it. We never did anything with it. And now it's over $3,000. The last Pastor Dan's the first one to ever talk about it in church. Before that, it went, I said, how did they get the $3,000? Who knows? God did it. That's how it happened. So amazing things happen. Everything changes when you accept God's promise. Here's something I wrote in a soap a few weeks ago. It says, today's passages, and it was a mishmash of passages. It was one of those things where I'm trying to pull it together, but I really couldn't. But somehow God did. Amazing. Um, But here's what I wrote. I said, today's passages begin with a promise for Abraham and Sarah. It's an unbelievable promise, the promise of a child for a couple far too old to have children. But the promise is really far greater than just one child. It's the promise of children and generations too numerous to count. We also see today the promise of God as our healer. Jesus healed many, including the slave of the centurion, a man who he never saw in the natural. Jesus didn't even speak a word of healing over this man, and yet the man was made well. Jesus raised from the dead a young man whose mother wept over his body, dead and yet made alive. And finally, we see the promise and fulfillment of forgiveness and salvation. Forgiveness for sins that were too many for a woman who had already been labeled, judged, and written off. And the promise was accepted by the sinful woman to which Jesus replied, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. 
The Bible doesn't tell us, but I'm guessing Jesus smiled at the sinful woman's acceptance of his forgiveness. She was saved by faith, a belief and acceptance of the promise. Everyone else in today's passage had a hard time believing. Abraham thought himself too old. Sarah laughed at the thought. Those with Jesus, when he spoke of the centurion's faith, probably didn't give a second thought that the slave might be healed. And those at the funeral of the young man were gripped with fear. But the sinful woman, she just believed. In spite of her circumstances, her past, and what the world thought of her, she just believed and accepted God's promise for herself. While the others left in doubt, disbelief, and fear, she walked in the promise, and she went in peace, God's peace. Everything changes when you accept the promise. Verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. Who was tempted more than anyone? Jesus. Taken out to the desert. Didn't eat for 40 days. The devil comes to him and tempts him. And says to him, if you are the son of God, which I love. Like if, like possibly you're not, but if, but okay. If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now here's the question I thought about. Couldn't Jesus have done that? Right? Stone, bread, eat. Done. Didn't Jesus have a good excuse? Haven't eaten for 40 days. I have the power. Why can't I do it? Why didn't he do it? Because he accepted the promise. And he also, number two, knew that everything changes when you stop assigning blame. He could have given an excuse. 40 days. But he also would have been giving up his calling, his promise. He came down as man. He would have given that up by snapping his fingers and turning that to bread. He didn't do it. And he didn't give some lame excuse as to why he needed to eat. But everything stops. Everything changes when you stop assigning blame. It's God getting even with me. It's my boss. It's my job. This church would be a whole lot better if Pastor Dan would just do this and that and this. And I'm leaving because, you know, that church at LifeSpring, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. Which is true, by the way. We are a bunch of hypocrites. (laughs) But it's an excuse. We're assigning blame. That's why I'm not in church, because of that church. Those people. And we think we're the first ones to come up with this blame thing, right? Go back to Genesis 3. How's that for going way back? Verse 11. This is what it says. And he, God, said to Adam, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman answered, The serpent deceived me and I ate. Oh, whose fault is it? Well, first of all, it's the woman, who, by the way, you gave to me. And then we go to the woman, and by the way, it was the serpent. So pretty much it's nobody's fault between Adam and Eve. And that's what we do too, don't we? It's not me. It's because of that guy. It's because of this person. It's because of this circumstance. But everything changes when you stop assigning blame. See, here's the truth. You, me, and everybody in this room has fallen short of the glory of God. Are we hypocrites? Absolutely. 
I am worst among you all. I really will tell you that right now. We've all failed. We're all sinners. And all those shortcomings come into denying everything else that we do. We take it everywhere. Here's a different view. This is from a Christian executive, an advertising executive who happens to be a Christian. And I love what he says because I think we all do this. He says, maybe it's because I've spent so much of my career working in advertising and marketing. But after a Christian event where nobody shows up, I hear the phrase, well, the people that needed to be here were here. He says, it sure seems like an excuse. We hear it all the time and only a handful of people show up to an event and we say, well, only six people came, but I believe that those were the people God wanted to be here. He says, really? He says, I don't want to sound harsh and ungodly here, but anytime something good happens, I want as many people to show up as possible. Of course, I want those who were meant to be here to show up. But why shouldn't that be a huge number? Well, we're so used to framing our practical failures in spiritual terms. It's much easier to blame God than our poor planning, lousy marketing, and boring advertising. He says, how about this? Let's pray that the right people show up. Let's do our best to get everybody possible at the event. Then if only one shows up, instead of deflecting to God, let's take a good, long look at our strategy, our creativity, and our marketing. Of course, let's pray that God blesses us. But let's cut the pretentious garbage about God approving our failures and hold ourselves to a higher standard. And then he ends with, any objections? See, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But everything changes when you stop assigning blame. Everything changes when you accept the truth that you and I were sinners. Verse 14. But each one is tempted when he's carried away, enticed by his own lust. Everything changes when you accept responsibility. This is the hard part. This is the tough one. See, Jesus said what? Be perfect. As your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And Pete stands up here and says, accept responsibility. And what does that do? That leads us to tired Christians. We get tired. Because Jesus says this. And this. And Pete says this. And we're way down here. This is our performance. We're trying to get up to the perfect, and we can't. What does that make us? It makes us tired. Because we're trying and trying and trying to accept that responsibility. See, we want to live up to some sort of performance expectation, and that's the gap. And you're not alone. We're all feeling like that. How about Paul? See, I don't see Paul as a big sinner. I see Paul as like a man on fire for God. A missionary going to the ends of the earth. What a guy. He knows it. He's on fire for God. He's, go, he, he's just going all in. He's all in for Jesus. But look at what he says in Romans 7. He says, For I know nothing that good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil I do not want. I know the things I'm doing are wrong, he says. I know it. He even goes on to say, what a wretched person I am. Wretched. The Greek word there is taliaporus. Taliaporus. And this is what it means. It means distressed. It means 
miserable. And it's an action word. It means being involved in that. It's, it's having that conflict constantly is what it means. What a wretched person I am. What a struggle I'm having with what a wretched person I am. That's what it's really saying. But here's where he comes up with the answer. And this is from the Message Bible. And I love how it phrases it. He says, I've tried everything and nothing helps. Can you relate? I keep trying and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question, he asks? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I am pulled by the influence of sin to doing something totally different. You were called to accept responsibility. The responsibility of believing in God's truth and God's promises, no matter what your difficulties or what your circumstances. Because everything changes when you accept the promise. Everything changes when you admit you are a sinner and quit assigning blame. And everything changes when you accept the responsibility of believing that Jesus can and will change your life. Verse 15. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Everything changes when you realize there are consequences. There are consequences. If you don't believe me, ask King David. King David, who God described as what? A man after my own heart. King David, who commanded this great army who no longer went out to war with them, but sent them on their own to fight the battles because they were such a mighty army, who stayed home. And one day while staying home, sees a beautiful woman. And he finds out she's married, but he doesn't care. And he gets her pregnant. And then her husband, who works for the army that he commands, he tries to bring him home and try to work out some plot to make him think it's his baby. But that doesn't work out. So what does he do? He takes the guy and he moves him to the front lines and he has him killed. Adultery, murder, consequences. But thankfully for King David and for you and me, we don't get what we deserve. God's goal is to bring us into relationship with him. We may not have committed adultery or murder, but we're all sinners just like David was a sinner. But God wants us to be aware of our nature to sin and that sin leads to consequences. One of those sins is pursuing worldly desires. We have this, this, this goal of getting more and more and being ranked higher and higher and higher. Especially when we're young, we have these lofty dreams of this is what I want to do and this is what I want to be. I heard this from a guy once and he said this, and this really puts all of your goals and ambitions into perspective. He said, here's three questions you need to ask yourself. Number one... When you get to where you're going, where will you be? Where is that that you're trying to get to? Number two, when you get to where you're going, what will you have? And number four, when you get to where you're going and you get what you want, was all of that worth the price that Jesus Christ paid on the cross for you? That's the question. Are we willing to accept that? 
Everything changes when you realize there are consequences. Verse 16, don't be deceived, my beloved brethren. This verse says don't go astray, don't go off course, don't deviate from the correct path. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him or acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Isaiah 48, 17 says this is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is good for you and leads you along the paths you should follow. See, the truth here from James is simply this. Everything changes when you hear and speak God's truth. Everything changes. It has to. And that, my friends, takes you spending time in your word. Sunday morning's not going to do it by itself. It takes spending time in God's word every day because you can't speak it if you don't know it. Now, if the Bible's too hard for you, there's lots of translations. Find one that works for you. We are more apt to listen to the world and listen to the enemy. We will hear and repeat the lies of the enemy. And he's a liar because Jesus tells us he was a murderer from the beginning. He had always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he, it is consistent with his character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Go back to Adam and Eve that we talked about earlier at the very beginning of the story. Satan lies to Eve the same way he lies to us. He cast doubt on God's word. Did God really say that? Really? God said that? You know, when I was in the eighth grade, I think, my, my aunt was an, was an atheist. Um, she had some tough things go on in her life, and that's why she just rejected God totally. And I remember saying, I, I don't even know how I knew this, but she said something, and I said, but the Bible says this. And she said to me, Pete, did God really say that? And I thought, I didn't know how to respond, but yes, he did. But the enemy lies to us. He puts doubt in our mind. Really? Does God really say that? Number two, he distorts God's word. You must not eat from any tree in the garden. God never said that, but he took God's word and he twisted it because he's a liar. And number three, he denies God's word. He said to Eve, you surely will not die. The enemy wants to lie to you about the Bible, about God, and about sin. But everything changes when you hear and speak God's truth. I recently had the opportunity, and most of you probably wouldn't see this as an opportunity. You'd probably see this punishment. But I got the opportunity to, to speak in front of some Christian speakers, people that did this professionally. I got the opportunity to, to make a presentation, and they got the opportunity for an hour to evaluate everything about my presentation, which, which was great. I loved it. It was really a great opportunity. But I said at one point that the woman who had the issue with the flow of blood, I said that she said, if I only touch his robe, I will be made well. And all of them in their, in their criticism of me and their critique of me said, my Bible says she thought it. And so I sort of doubted myself, like, did I read that right? So, so they all went back and they were all digging up, they were all digging into that word. And the word literally is, she said it. She spoke it. Here's a woman who had only heard about Jesus, 
but she spoke the truth that she knew. She spoke it out loud. And in fact, if you look deep, deep, deep into that word, she spoke it many, many, many times. She heard about it. She spoke it. Everything changes when you hear and speak God's truth. Here's my encouragement for you today. Find a verse that speaks to your situation. Say to the enemy, you say this, but God's word says, and then speak the truth. Are you lonely? God says you're worthless. That's what the enemy is saying to you. But God's word says, I will never, never, never fail you or forsake you. You say I don't count for anything, devil, but God's word says, and then quote the verse, speak God's truth. Everything changes when you hear and speak God's truth. Verse 17, every good, given, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Everything changes when you know God never changes. Everything changes when you know God never changes. God doesn't move. I used to picture God as like chasing after us and running around. God doesn't move. God never changes. God's everywhere. I was in the hospital room with this gentleman who the night before was very high on this verse about God. Had a lot of hope and a lot of... He was jazzed up about it the night before. The next morning, he was down and dejected because his circumstances had changed. He was defeated. So I let him be defeated for a little bit. And then I said, what's that verse that you read to me last night? And he quoted the verse. And I said, no, 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 what does it say? And he opened it up and he read it. And I said, isn't that interesting? It hasn't changed. Your circumstances changed, but God never changes. What's everybody's favorite verse? Jeremiah 29.11. We love Jeremiah 29.11, don't we? What does that say? I think we have it up on the screen here. Here we go. Let's read it together, right? Go. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. We love that verse. I like to call that a zippity-doo-dah verse. That's a my, oh, my, what a wonderful day verse. We love that verse. That's a great verse. We give that to somebody when they're going off to, like, college or doing something great. I know the plans I have for you. Do you know when that verse was spoken to the children of Israel? It was spoken to them right before, and they knew it was coming right before they were taken captive into Babylon. The Babylonians had come in. They were about to take their land, their property, their homes, everything. They were going to march them back to Babylon in exile. Right before that, God says this, I know the plans I have for you. And we say, really? Thanks. It sure doesn't feel like good plans, does it? No, God says, I know the plans I have for you. We look at God and say, really? That's re- Can you not see my situation? God says, I know the plans I have for you. This is what the message verse says, message Bible says. It says, this is God's word on the subject. As soon as Babylon's 70 years are up and not a day before, I'll show up and take care of you, as I promised, and bring you back home. I know what I'm doing. I have it all planned out. 
plans to take care of you, not abandon you, plans to give you the future you hope for. God knows. God has plans. God never changes. Everything will change for you when you finally know that God never changes. Verse 18. In the exercise of His will, He brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be kind of a first fruits among His creatures. So James is saying here that because God never changes and because of His tremendous love for us, He brings us forth as kind of a first fruit among His creatures. Well, what does that mean? Well, first fruits was a celebration. It was, it was a, a celebration of when they came out of Egypt. It was three days after the Passover. And before they did any harvesting or did any work on their crops, they were required to bring the first, the best of their crops to the priests, to God. The best, before they did any other work. So what James is saying here is that God is putting us forth as his best. Before anything else, before anything else is done, we're put forth as his best. We are a kind of first fruits. James is telling you and me today that everything changes when you finally understand that you are his masterpiece. Ephesians 2.10 says we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do good things He has planned for us long ago. According to Dictionary.com, a masterpiece is a person's greatest work of art. Anything done with mastery skill, a consummate example of a skill or excellence. Let me call the worship team back up as I close with this final story. It's a story I found because, you know, James doesn't have any. But here's the story. There was a man who lived in a tiny apartment. He had never been successful. He'd never had any victories. He lived and he died. It was just another face in the crowd. And after his funeral, his family went and cleaned out his apartment. And they just put on a garage sale. They just sold everything. Well, a woman bought a a small painting that he had. She eventually had it appraised, and she eventually sold it for millions of dollars. It was a masterpiece. See, you are a masterpiece. You've always been his masterpiece. But if you don't know that, you're just going to live and you're going to die. But everything will change when you finally understand that you are his masterpiece. You are God's special treasure. You were selected by him and for him. You're created in the image of Almighty God. He made you exactly the way He intended to make you. And He equipped you with everything you need. When you know that, you'll have purpose and confidence and identity. You become a person of destiny. God created you for His good purpose. And know beyond a shadow of doubt that you are His masterpiece. Everything changes when you understand that. And if you have trouble accepting anything I said today, I would love to pray with you after service. And there's others here that would love to pray with you as well. I want you to know all those things, that Jesus Christ can change everything. And if you don't know him, I want you to know him today. 
So can we all close our eyes and bow our heads? And if you don't know Jesus Christ today, I just want you to just raise your hand or look up at me. Just make eye contact with me. If you don't know him, today's the day. And if you do know him but you are struggling, then today's the day you can come forward and receive prayer. And let's break this. Let's make this a new day. Let's make this the day that everything changes because you finally are willing to accept and understand that Jesus Christ changes everything. Will you do that? Let's close in prayer. Father God, we are so thankful. We are so thankful that you sacrificed your one and only son for us, that you loved us so much that you were willing to give us everything. Lord, today where we struggle and we fight and we have a hard time, Lord, we know that we can run to you because your word says that you will turn and run to us, Lord, with open arms, that you'll take us back, Father God, even if what we did was five minutes ago, Lord, even if we're going to do it again tomorrow, Lord, you want us, you want a relationship with us, Father God. So, Lord, we give you all the praise and all the glory, and we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus.